rock, rock, rock and roll podcast. Check out this record. My name is Mark and with me is my good buddy, Frank. Hey, Mark. Hey, world. Hi, mom. Listeners who play along at home, like Frank's mom, know that you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Amazon Music, and wherever else you find podcasts. That's right. New episodes drop to your ears every Friday, and of course, for your listening pleasure. Thank you. For our new listeners, I'm just going to take that whole sentence again. For our new listeners <laughs> out there, this is the podcast where Frank and I recommend records to each other uh, to rate and review uh, them. Uh, we have a wide variety of musical discussions like our Spotlight series, where we dig into a band's catalog and quite frankly, we see what comes out the other side. Or in our Versus series, where we pit two albums against each other and they duke it out for total stereo domination. Oh, dude, that was a really good one. Thanks, sir. Uh, be sure to check us out on Instagram and our Facebook group. Uh, we like to drop additional content that are hopefully leaving you want more of Frank's musical goodness and my random nonsense. Now, when I say we drop stuff down there, I mean, this is like Reagan trickle-down economics. We get to it when we get to it. <laughs> when it happens, it happens. <laughs> We're busy, guys. Um, if you've got a record you want us to check out, drop us a comment wherever you find us. Uh, while you're at it, please subscribe and give us a, a review and a rating, uh, gold bars, stars, hearts, whatever it is you think we deserve. Uh, so I say this, Frank, how are you, my man? Hey, man, I am good, Brosive. And this episode, along with the one after it, th this has to be one that we've, we've chatted about for a while. And perhaps since we started this podcast, my man, mm -hmm. I mean, the Nevada Unplugged album is quite possibly one of the biggest and legendary albums of all time, wouldn't you say? Uh, I know once this was released after the death of Kurt Cobain, I was listening to this tape, yes tape, nonstop, possibly even more than the other Nirvana records. Uh, what say you, Mark? You know, before we started working on this episode, I would have bet you my hard-earned dollars versus a box of donuts mm. that this was Nirvana's best-selling album. And I would have been dead wrong. Uh, it turns out, never mind, sold well over 10 million copies. Whereas this uh, gem, and it really is a gem, it only sold a meter 5 million. Oh. Yeah. You know, those guys, uh, they're, they're not doing well. Uh, that said, uh, <laughs> um, you know, this thing was everywhere. It was on, everywhere. It was on MTV, um, you know, perhaps heightened. Uh, by Kurt's passing um, before the release, but but some of that hype, you know, it, it may have, or his passing may have increased its value in a lot of our minds. It, it's hard to say, uh, but it's definitely just such an amazing record. You have to remember that this was Nirvana's only Grammy win. Wow. Yeah. So what role Kurt's passing played in that? You know, obviously you can't quantify it necessarily, uh, but considering that both Nirvana and In Utero were both nominated for Best Alternative Albums, and neither one. Perhaps this is the Grammy's way of admitting that they missed the boat on Nirvana. Yeah, probably. Um, worth noting here is that uh, last week's episode, the Foo Fighters self-titled album, was also up for Best Alternative uh, Album Grammy the same year, uh, in 96, which is pretty crazy. Um, nevertheless, it's a classic. It's, it's the unplugged... Um, world's best unplugged uh hands down i don't even care who you are um and it's <laughs> probably i mean also nirvana's best live record right i think uh, so 
you know, and, and for my, for my liking, it might be their best album period, but you know, we're going to get into the minutia of that uh, here shortly. Yeah, absolutely. And, w- and with that said, you know, as usual, let's go ahead and kick this off uh, with the top ten list. You know, since we're talking about an unplugged record, we're gonna we're gonna have our own take on it, but we're gonna do our top ten unplugged or acoustic versions of songs or albums where there's more of a stripped back feel, anything of that nature that applies. Because Mark's list is gonna look different from mine, but we're gonna do that. And Mark, why don't you kick us off, my man? Yeah, you know, these uh these lists really I, I I cheated and looked at Frank's folks. Um, we got some different lists. We get some different lists. So um, you, you want to go back and forth, Frankie? Yeah, absolutely. You could start us off, my man. Excellent. So my my number ten pick, number one. However, you're counting these. Uh, I actually like Mike Ness uh, and his solo work, both albums, Cheating at Solitaire and Under the Influence. Now these records are a mix of electric and acoustic songs, uh, but I think it's a great example of an artist taking the sound they're known for and giving it that raw unplugged feeling that shows the depth and range of the artist. And I think if you look at Mike Ness's body of work in social distortion and you compare it to that body of work, his solo records, cheating at solitaire and under the influence, you'll be blown away at what his stripped down in his particular case, country version uh, of music sounds like, I think it's a, a phenomenal pick. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's the first record I could remember. I'm not saying it's the first uh, of its kind, but it's the first I could remember where the front man of a band that, that we knew and adored uh, put out a solo record. And I was just like, whoa, I was like, this is crazy. And then obviously, you know, fast forward 10 or even earlier than that, years later, all these front men are putting out like albums like this. But to me, this was the first that had an impact like that. Um it's so good. So good. All right. So I'm going to just so you know, I'm going to admit the songs that we cover later on from this Nirvana Unplugged album. And I hate to add this, Mark, but I'm going to have to. So Jules Shear, who came up with the concept for MTV Unplugged in an effort to promote his own album, said he was inspired, <clears throat> sorry, by the 1989 MTV Video Music Awards performance of John Bon Jovi and Richie Sambora and their two song acoustic set. <sighs> I yeah. Know. I think I it's, really worth, it's worth mentioning, right? Because I, I do give Bon Jovi their fair share of shit. If you look at Wanted, Dead or Alive, yep. and what's that other one called? Uh, uh, well, they did in that performance was Living on a Prayer. And Living on a Prayer. Thank you. Um, if you look at those songs, the the way that they're structured, the way that they're performed, right? My my issue with Jovi isn't that he isn't a good performer. Sure. Right? My problem with him is that his content is shit and those are arguably the best two songs he's ever been a part of i don't want to say wrote because god knows he does he barely writes any of his own music and i I don't want to be sued by some songwriter who's fucking raking in the millions because this jackhole singing the songs better than he could but i think it's worth mentioning but i also think it's interesting that you brought up the premise of unplugged because and, and, and i will get to this later on short of and I mean this sincerely, a small handful of performances, maybe at most six, this series sucks dick. It is a terrible, terrible penis into mouth garbage uh, concept that only when the artist knew what they were doing and didn't listen to him, does it work? Yeah. Yeah, if you researched a lot of the episodes, which I did, I'm like, oh, really? I'm like, that was an unplugged episode. That was an unplugged episode. That was an unplugged episode. And I and I went and I looked at some videos, and I was like, mm, 
wait a minute, some are some are questionable. So, but I will kick off. And my list actually is from the Unplugged series, but it is select songs. So here we go. The the first song is a song by Stone Temple Pilots, and that song is called Cracker Man. And I'm going to reference, of course, like I said, the other Unplugged episodes throughout this episode. So I apologize in advance. And I love this performance by SCP, and Wyland's voice is dead on. They started off the performance with this track from their debut core uh, album, and uh, this is a loud and rocking song, but the band was able to create its acoustic counterpart, and I think that was done very, very well. So that was, for me, on on my list. Back to you, Mark. Very nice. Excellent. Uh, So my second choice here, uh, you heard us talk about it recently, Bruce Springsteen live on Broadway. Of course. I know we talked about it in the Letters to You episode. but it's such an amazing performance that it bears repeating. Between the storytelling, the simple arrangements, Bruce manages to capture not just your attention, but your heart and keeps you locked in for the whole ride. It's an amazing acoustic performance. Yeah. Fantastic. Fantastic. Um, my next on the list is the song Angry Chair by Allison Chain. So I'm a big fan, actually, of the Allison Chain's Unplugged album. Their songs, as everyone knows, were super grungy and had a heavy element to it, both musically and, of course, lyrically. They somehow made their songs just sound absolutely fantastic acoustically. This version manages to bring an edge while still keeping true to the song's nuance. Angry Chair, Allison Chain's The Unplugged version is awesome. Yeah, that's my second favorite Unplugged album. There you um, go. <laughs> uh, so for me, uh, number three, number seven, depending on how I'm counting this, which day of the week it is. Um, it's a record I bought for Frank a long time ago. Elvis oh. Costello, King of America. Love it. 1986, we get a different side of uh, what I consider to be the crown prince of New Wave, you know, with the stripped down but powerful release. It's got tracks like American Without Tears, Indoor Fireworks, which I know will make Frank cry. Uh, <laughs> Jack of all parades. And of course we get the, uh, we have to mention the xylophone centric, uh, don't let me be misunderstood, which is, it's just an amazing Elvis Costello thing. Nobody else could have pulled that off. Uh, and he does it beautifully. It's just one of those albums of an artist who had a sound and decided to do something different. In this case, it was, uh, I don't even want to call it folk forward. Um, Was it the birth of Americana? Right, right, exactly. Maybe. Elvis Costello exploring with an acoustic guitar and lots of pianos and just making a beautiful record. It's fantastic. Fantastic. I I cherish that record and uh, the girls, my daughters, love it every time I put that thing on. So thank you, Mark, for getting me that years ago. Pleasure. (laughs) <laughs> I, I know you do. Yeah. <laughs> so next, uh, this is a love-hate relationship, but it's the song Stay Love and Trust by Pearl Jam. Again, I'll admit I have a love-hate uh, with Pearl Jam. Their performance on Unplugged featured this from their debut album 10, but also included uh, this song from the single soundtrack, which was always one of my fave. Uh, they do it justice, has vibrant energy, and a stellar overall performance. I rewatched it. Um, yo, I think this was the best of that night in their performance. So State of Love and Trust, Pearl Jam. Uh, my next choice, um, you guys know how I feel about Pearl Jam. I don't need to repeat anything. Uh, my next choice is The Menzingers and their latest release from Exile. So yeah. this came out uh, this year. Um, and it's really interesting because it, it's simply a completely acoustic version of their last album from totally. Exile. And I was worried that it would be kind of boring, right? I, I do like uh, From Exile. Um excuse me, uh, Hello Exile. Um, I didn't know that I needed the whole album acoustic, but it really works. Um, they put in a little extra effort to make sure that it wasn't just a 
the, the acoustic versions of the song, but gave them a little extra uh, spirit and soul. And I think it works beautifully. Uh, the Menzingers from Exile. Yeah, you know, I, I was surprised that the whole album, you know, was acoustic when it came out. I was like, oh, maybe it's like an EP with a couple of songs in there. But no, no, it's it's the whole album, and uh, they did it well. They did it well. It's a nice, nice sound uh, to it. So um, next is the song "We Can Work It Out," the famous Beatles songs. But this was from the Unplugged McCartney album. It's in parentheses the official bootleg album that was released in '91 uh, for a newly launched acoustic show called MTV Unplugged. Lots of classic Beatles songs are on here, but this one song and performance in particular just sounded so good to me acoustically, and it's a little bit of an edge actually uh, in his performance. So uh, the classic Beatles song "Acoustic," we can work it out. So, um, excellent pick, by the way. Uh, Thank you. Not upset at that at all. Um, it does speak to the fact that MTV had no idea what they were doing with this unplugged idea. Right. Um, <laughs> nonetheless, uh, my next choice right here in the middle of this thing is a band called Off With Their Heads Won't Be Missed. Uh, it feels like sitting around a punk rock fire pit uh, and singing songs and drinking beers with your buddies. It does help to be familiar with their catalog. Uh, up to this point in 2016, uh, but it's also an easy and accessible way to to kind of get entry point to the band. Um, they're known for their snappy lyrics and their their really cynical uh, view on life. And I think this is a really interesting take on how you pair those songs down without losing that punch. So for me, uh, off with their heads won't be missed. Yeah, that's one I got to familiarize myself with more. I know off with their heads, but that but that one in particular. I got to check it out more. And that's why we're here, partly. Uh, now, next is the song Layla by Clapton. Now, I was never a big Clapton fan for some reason. I'm not saying I don't think he's one of the greatest <laughs> guitarists of all time. However, Layla is a classic song. And acoustically, I think it sounds great. They changed the whole tempo and made it stand on its own. I mean, I know some people who literally identify Layla with that version as opposed to the original, the Derek and the Dominoes, more electric uh, song. So, um you know, a fun rendition of it. Again, I'm not the biggest Clapton fan in the world, but I do appreciate Layla on the Unplugged. I had a I had a Clapton phase where I just loved Clapton. He could do no wrong. Uh, he's he's amazing. Yeah, Definitely. I mean, incredible guitarist, and I'm not. Yeah. I, I just need to listen to him more. You know? Yeah, it's, yeah. It, it's what's beautiful about Clapton is it'll just always be there. Right, right, it's exactly. And the there. stuff with Cream and the Derek and the Dominoes album. Yeah. yeah. So for me, my next choice uh, is The Riot Before, Fists Buried in Pockets. Good choice. Uh, this re record is a mix of acoustic numbers and electric numbers, but the balance uh, between them is spot on. It's a wonderfully personal album that spans uh, the range of, of quiet rage to full-blown screaming. Uh, well, I think Frank and I will agree The Riot Before uh, might have a better record in Rebellion. Uh, for the purposes of this list, uh, this record, um, you absolutely shouldn't skip. Yeah, I, you know, they just stopped performing. They, they were just stopped being a band and like you can't find anything on them. But uh, those, those Fist Buried in Pockets and Rebellion, the, those are some really They're good records. Yep. All right. Next, I have the song Operation Spirit by the band Live. This was another favorite performance of mine when I was younger. I recorded it on the old VHS and used to watch it. And in particular, this song from their debut album, uh, Mental Jewelry. Um, this was actually the kickoff song. I, I love the album version. I love this acoustically. It sounds so good with lots of kind of subdued energy that builds up. Operation Spirit um, by Live. That's my next one. Very nice. I am, I am double dipping next. And you should. Uh, 
I, I am. I'm going to go right into Bruce Springsteen. Darkness <laughs> on the edge of town. I know. I know. I already put Bruce on here. But Darkness is such an important record, not just for his career, but for this conversation. We're having over all these stripped down music and unplugged and acoustic this and whatever you want to call it, right? The coffee shop, whatever. This record cemented that that music is not only valuable, but that it's damn good. Um, you know, Bruce came off three beautifully produced records with big, bright, full bands complete with electric guitars. Mining, minus greetings. Please see the other episode for that information. Um, yes. So for him to take a step back into the darkness and release such a personal moody record, it, it made it possible for other artists to reach that same dark place in their own work. Yeah. Yeah. It tracks like racing in the street too, where it's, I mean, it's so just laid back. Um, it's, it's so good. It's so good. And, uh, you are more than able uh, to double dip in these scenarios. <laughs> Thank you. All right. So next is, uh, the song wicked game by Chris Isaac. Mark, you know, I love some Chris Isaac. Uh, I do. The guy looks like Elvis and sings like Roy Orbison. I mean, gifts, absolute gifts, especially with his voice. Anywho, I think he's criminally underrated and Wicked Game, uh, which he's most famous for, sounds great in this uh, live performance uh, that he did. You know, the key with this guy is consistency in his voice and the tone and the performance. Uh, Just a haunting, haunting song. And uh, I wish the guy got more credit because I think, frankly, he's amazing. So there you go. Yeah, so my next pick's a guy who's getting too much credit. Um, I'm just kidding. It's it's Frank Turner. Uh, <laughs> and actually, his my favorite of his albums, England, Keep My Bones. Mine too. Records, uh, because for me, this was the end of what I think of as, uh, I mentioned it before, Frank Turner's Campfire Punk Rock Records, uh, which perhaps not ironically, um, or excuse me, not as ironically as I want to think, was the name of his first solo release. Um, Frank Turner has gone from unplugged to plugged. Um, and while I prefer the unpluggish sound uh, over the new modern, you know, plugged in sound with the full band, um, what we get in England Keep My Bones is this wonderful tribute um, to loving his birthplace and dealing with his success and the difficulties of leaving it behind as he travels the world and, and grows beyond his island. Um, it's just such a great record. After this, things get poppier. Things get a little bit more. Yeah. I don't want to say sanitized. Sorry, Frank. I, I love your work, but go back to this. Um, be sure to check out his early stuff. Uh, England Keep My Bones is an absolute treasure. Um, you should definitely check it out. Yeah, I mean, I love the first four albums, and and this one being the the I I think my top choice of the of the first four. Uh, it's very honest and you know he was one of those ones that was in this hardcore band million dead and started just doing acoustic songs and just was relentless with it and and figured out how to do it right now whatever that is you know yeah we're gonna have to that's a different conversation but he figured out how to do it right and this album is great and you know we saw him in a revival tour I uh, took a picture with him and then the next concert mark remember when I asked him about it he's like oh I don't remember but anyway is <laughs> it Frank said, hey, do you remember me? My name is Frank, too. I met you at the Revival Tour. I was wearing a class T-shirt. Yeah. And he goes, yeah, I meet a lot of people. I know. I know. Oh. But then he signed my record. <laughs> he did. And he was, it was very sweet twice in a row. Twice in a row, yes. <laughs> 
Oh, man. So the next is uh, a song, uh, some might say, by Oasis. Won't go into too much here because we did an Oasis episode. But long story short, Brother Liam was kind of sick, so he bailed at the last minute, and Noel had to sing the songs. It's cool to hear, some might say, performed uh, by Noel. And uh, to me, at this time, it was a real treat, and uh, it was it was a good performance. So that was next on my list. You think, knowing their shenanigans, he was actually sick, or do you think he was just trying to be a rock star and pull out? Yeah, I think so, because he's up in the rafters, uh, you know, heckling, so. <laughs> yeah. All right. That's what I, that was my kind of feel. I was like, there's no way that dickhead was passing on this unless he was being a dickhead. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so, um, so my next choice, um, I'm doing just a song instead of a full record, if that's cool. Um, <laughs> I'm going with Avail and their acoustic version of Lombardi oh. 3. I really, 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 really wanted to put a Tim Barry solo album in this slot. Uh, I think you guys have heard me talk enough about how amazing Tim Barry's solo work is. If you haven't checked it out, please check it out. Please do, please. But I, I, I would be remiss if I didn't say one of my favorite Avail records is Over the James. The uh, Lombardi Street acoustic version at the end of the record is just this not even sherry and on the top of this great record it is just this like this breath after having your ass kicked for you know 37 minutes where you can finally just get air in your lungs and this song acoustically which it, it does ramp up towards the end of the song and get rocking again as the original does but this song just cranks it it'll cut your right to your it's one of those songs that you feel like how the fuck did they write this song about me they don't know what i've been through but that song is exactly everything i've been through it's one of those songs they're one of those bands that's super overrated tim berry's solo work again super overrated go check out all of that stuff you know they're they're the underrated gems amongst underrated gems that's what avail is and if you're not listening to them you're wrong yeah that could be my favorite Avail song because the because to me I think it's set up Barry for what he's kind of doing now you know uh, I, I mean it's just first of all both versions are fantastic I mean absolutely fantastic but uh, you want some hard on your sleeve stuff man go listen to Tim Barry and um, yep. just amazing all right so next is the song Fall on Me by REM uh, not the best vocal performance during their Unplugged by Michael Stipe but uh, Peter Buck's uh, Guitar playing is really great here, and bass player Mike Mills and drummer Bill Berry do a great job on backing vocals here as well. It's one of my favorite REM songs. Um, you know, I don't think overall it was the greatest performance um, for their Unplugged series, but um, I like the song, so there you go. Yeah, fair enough. That's another underrated band that I think people go, oh, I, I'm, you're supposed to be smarter to listen to REM. Right. Like, no, just listen to them. They're actually really good. I mean, so. you know, most is like, you know, most probably first occurrence was either Stand or or um, could be Orange Crush or uh, Losing My Religion. But I mean, before that, whole catalog of stuff, man. Whole catalog of stuff, you know? So, yeah. yeah. The Pride of Athens, Georgia. I don't know mm -hmm. how I know that. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, last up on my list, or first, depending on how you're looking at it, um, it's, a, it's a twofer. Again, I'm, I'm, I'm double dipping in a weird way. Uh, it's against me. Uh, and I'm actually starting at the start with their acoustic and crime EPs. Um, so much like uh, Frank Turner against me did this trick backwards where they started acoustic and then plugged themselves in. They started actually as a two-piece band, just a, an acoustic guitar and drums uh, before going electric and filling in the rest of the band. The acoustic EP and crime EP 
are 12 songs combined. That's with both of them, they're 12 songs. And they're just under 30 minutes combined. Um, the band, uh, the band's punk rock DIY ethos was carved out with these early EPs that laid the groundwork for their future success. If you look at the first two records, if you look at what would come later, everything's driven from where they started with the acoustic EP and crime EP. Um, this is more than, you know, elevated punk rock campfire or folk punk or whatever it was, what it, people were trying to define it as. It was genre defining and it helped lead the way for so many of the bands and artists to pursue whatever sound they wanted that today you have more openness with style and creative input than we had before. These guys helped break the mold, certainly in the early 2000s, of punk bands sound like this, metal bands sound like this, uh, the guy at the coffee shop sounds like this. So yeah. a very important band um, that I don't think get enough credit because too many people only know New Wave and those people are losers. I don't want you in my life. Yeah, you know, it, it, it's so true because New Wave was such a popular album, right? Such a popular album. I mean, that's that that was the tour that we saw them uh, open for, well, with Jimmy World and 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 Foo Fighters, and that gained them a lot of attention. But if you trace it back, just like you did, the amount of things that spawned from early against me, I mean, not only just from what they were doing, but the bands that followed that took that took them this sound, you know, Menzinger's first record, uh, the sidekicks, uh, right before, uh, I mean, so many bands could be attributed back to yeah, what against Thursday acoustic albums. Right. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> there you go. But a lot could be traced back to that. I mean, for a while they even did it with a guitar and just a drum. I mean, um, yeah. What, what more can you say? All right, so my last on the list is the song Pride and Joy by Stevie Ray Vaughan. Nice. From one of the early Unplugged episodes, I mean, to hear such a talented guitarist play blues like this on an acoustic guitar is really mesmerizing. And on top of that, he used a 12 string for this performance. Uh, this performance was six months before his tragic death. I'm sure he made that acoustic walk bow-legged after this performance, man, because it, it, you have to watch it. You just have to watch what he does with it. I know people know Pride and Joy and Crossfire, but man... I mean, what a guitarist, dude. What a freaking guitarist. Please tell me you wrote that line about the guitar walking bow-legged. I did. Nice. I love <laughs> it. And Stevie Ray Vaughan. Stevie Ray Vaughan. You know, uh, one of the most amazing guitarists. And, you know, unfortunately, just like Jimi Hendrix, passed way before people could see what he was really capable of. Uh, unfortunately, didn't get the recognition that Jimmy did. Right. Um, but I mean, hey, look, you, you can't fault him for for doing his best. And he was on the up. Yeah. And his Hendrix covers, by the way, too, are phenomenal. I mean, phenomenal. yeah, there's some great Hendrix acoustic stuff if you can find them. And they're they're out there on the internet. Just Google it. It's yeah. It's yeah. So those were some fun lists there, buddy. Thank you, buddy. Uh, I wanted to ask you, I know yes, uh, you would write a lot of uh, your music for the bands that we were in on an acoustic guitar and then, and then you'd bring them over and, you know, we'd plug them into the electric and, um, you know, we'd, we'd go for that sound we wanted, whether we wanted that kind of clean sound of your Les Paul or that heavy distorted of your, that old green Ibanez of yours that I love. Could you talk a little bit about how bands and, and songwriters go uh, the other way with it? How do we take these heavy songs and, and strip them down without losing their 
personality without losing their soul, if you will? Yeah, it's such a good question, man. And the green ribbon is right over there where I'm pointing to, by the way. But <laughs> it says hi, by the way. In the French couch, it's over there. Unless I'm facing the other direction. I don't know. So it's a weird thing, right? Because we were in these bands for a while too. And you don't want to bore people too long with this, but we were in bands for a while. Then all of a sudden it was like, hey, listen, uh, you know, I'm gonna, you know, start maybe playing these songs uh, you know, acoustically or or you know, whatever was going on at the time where the members couldn't all get together and then started playing some songs or whatever the case may be, and the songs had to become more intimate. So how do you transcribe that? And and that's a little bit of what we're gonna talk about too, right? With the Nirvana album. The thing is, the thing is, yeah, you're taking away the safety blanket. Again, we're gonna talk about that, but the safety blanket's gone. So the bass, the loud distorted guitars, the drums are completely gone and it's barren. And it's just you there. And I don't know if you remember this, Mark, but one time we played uh or I played an acoustic uh Halloween set in the whoopee cushion costume where I did the Misfits covers. Mm-hmm. Oh man, I, I was very well. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I, w- I was messing up all over the place. And I was like, oh, man, I was like, y- people could hear this now, right? People could hear the, the wrong chord change, whatever the case may be. Uh, the voice has to also project differently. You can't just be screaming it all the time. It has to be more subdued and has to be more controlled, which is very, very tough to do. Uh, at the end of the day, without them losing their soul, the best thing that that I could say is that there has to be some sort of edge that still that still persists in these. Now, what does that mean? That's of course defined differently by, by each person. Uh, is it a little bit of a harder strum? Is it, is, is it uh, taking, you know, a lyric and emphasizing it a little bit more? If you, if you finger pick again, is it kind of almost being a little heavy with that? Um, if you see like what Lars did, for example, he didn't do this acoustically, but Lars Frederiksen from Rancid and his uh, just, guitar set really which was just him and the electric uh he still kept true because he was strumming that thing i mean his gauge on those strings is so heavy and he was still strumming that so hard that even on acoustic it would still give it that uh you know that soul and wouldn't take that soul away so i think you have to find like a component in the song and emphasize on that to to make it just not sound boring that's that's the best advice i could give you know, uh, I went and saw Rancid uh, with one of our old good friends, Alex Kuykendall. She is a, an absolute monster on the bass guitar. Yes. Uh, they did an acoustic cassette, and it was cool watching them. There were songs that they ramped down for where they, they took it a little lower, but they did. There were songs like, uh, I'm drawing a blank on which operation. I They did Sound System. Sound System. On an acoustic guitar, and they rocked it as though they were playing through every amp in the building, and it was yeah. amazing. So I guess you're right. It's really about finding what's special, what that song is really about, and then playing to that strength on the appropriate instrument. Yes, sir. Cool. Well, that was uh, truly informative. Shall Thank we you. jump? Shall we jump? Shall we jump <laughs> into the uh, album review here of Nirvana's Unplugged in let's, New York City? Yes, let's jump and jump at the same time, my man. New York City. <laughs> so let's do a little background, right? The band had been in negotiations as they accepted uh, while while being on tour with the Meat Puppets. Uh, the band weren't fans of the other Unplugged episodes as they felt the bands treated them like rock shows, uh, which I could see with the Pearl Jam performance in particular. Um, yeah, the prospect of an acoustic set apparently made 
Cobain nervous, right? Rehearsals were tense and difficult. The band also ran into problems performing various songs as the show's producer and Cobain were in disagreement as, of course, the producer of the show wanted more Nirvana hits. Uh, it should be noted that Cobain was also suffering from extreme anxiety and drug withdrawal. Uh, the core of the show was in black handles and a chandelier to where the show's producer asked Cobain about the decor. Uh, he said, you mean like a funeral? To which Cobain replied, exactly like a funeral. <laughs> Another odd occurrence is that Cobain insisted on running his acoustic guitar through an amp and effects pedals. Uh, this can be primarily heard on The Man Who Sold the World. Odd for it being an unplugged show, but again, this was his security blanket. Um, Cobain would go also argue about the producer about the lack of encore uh, or no encore uh, songs as well. Mark, lots of going on, lots of stuff going on here, foreshadowing perhaps, ironic for sure, but all of just just adds to the mystique and the allure of this album, wouldn't you say? That's what I find so intriguing about it. Not just this album, but Nirvana as a whole. They they really tried to layer as much as they could into the music. And of course, lyrically. And here we, with this performance, they knew would be a defining part of the band's legacy. Um, it's interesting, though. Six of the 14 tracks are covers, um, which will be sure to point out as we uh, get to each of them. And totally. speaking of an, an encore, the 25th anniversary edition... Um, only included additional rehearsal cuts of five tracks that made the original airing. So no true encore then or now. The foreshadowing question has really been sticking with me. I, I don't know that I believe Kurt Cobain took his own life. In which case, it's just a tragedy, right? It's just an ironic tragedy. But if he did, I mean, it's still absolutely a tragedy, but perhaps more so because we couldn't see the writing on the wall until there was blood on it. Right. Oof. Let's talk about uh, some of the other hits uh, producers might have wanted uh, after we go through the album. And uh, you know what? I'm feeling greedy. I'm going to kick it off. <laughs> As you should after that, my friend. Go ahead. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Uh, opening track, About a Girl. About a Girl. Uh, the only song from Bleach uh, to make it onto the Unplugged stage amazing song choice to kick off this record this is the kind of self-deprecating songwriting i love and admire despite asking to be uh, the one using another he knows she's going to be using and abusing him and he hates himself for it yeah. uh, but there he is uh really setting an interesting tone uh given that he wants it to be a, a like exactly like a funeral um for this uh unplugged effort yeah, I love that they chose a song from their first album uh, to kick off the performance. It surely made people go back to that album with a newfound interest. I'm sure Bleach's popularity, you know, obviously was getting more and more popular, but with this performance. And I love bands when they start off sets uh, with more unknown songs. It forces the crowd, right, to get engaged. And this is a great song. It reminds me, viewers later, of uh, Green Day. It wasn't an acoustic set, but a live uh, uh, concert, uh, Jaded in Chicago, where th at the height of their Dookie album, they kicked off a song from their first album so uh it, it was just very cool to do that and anyway a great performance of the song about a girl it's it's a perfect opening opening track next track we have come as you are this is actually my favorite single from Nevermind. i don't think it gets enough credit when compared let me finish that when compared to teen spirit lithium and in bloom <laughs> i loved hearing uh this uh amped up song get toned down now cobain's voice struggles here and and i'll get some heat uh 
from saying this, but vocally he wasn't the best performer. With all that he had going on, though, um, you could tell that there's some struggles here. Regardless, though, the flaws are, I, I think, perfect for this, and and I like the rendition even with the flaws. I, I think you nailed it. And an important part of what makes this performance so good, which is that he is that he isn't perfect. Uh, you get an honest rendition of the song, uh, which is great because the song is about exactly that, just being who you are, regardless of what people think. Right. Uh, I love the way they toned this one down uh, and made it truly memorable. I, for me, though, I think this was this was number two after uh, "Smells Like Teen Spirit" for me. Yeah, uh, but I, but I see where you're at. You're, you know, you're you're not half wrong with that that argument. Thanks, sir. Frank, I don't know if you know this, but Jesus doesn't want me for a sunbeam. Really? Yeah. Uh, the first of uh, I'll talk to him. Yeah, please, if you could. Just a good word. I know you guys are tight. Uh, <laughs> so the first of the, the six covers on the album, Kurt tells us right off the bat, um, it's an old Christian song uh, that they play in the way of the, the Vaselines do. Uh, and if you haven't checked out the Vaselines, go ahead, hit pause, run over, listen to some Vaselines and come back. Uh, yeah, do that later. Um, After the episode, yeah. <laughs> it, yeah. It's just really cool way for them to throw them like a, hey, if you haven't heard of this band, go check them out. Like it, it was just a cool thing to do that. Plus, we get uh, Chris Novoselic. Uh, Novoselic. Novoselic. Thank you. I, I said it right when I was typing it. Um, on the accordion, uh, as a young kid trying to figure out uh, why I didn't fit in at religious functions or at all, uh, this song really spoke to me on a very personal level and, and, and still does. Um, what's amazing about this particular unplugged session is that it has the tone that uh, that it has a tone that runs through the whole thing uh, and. Perhaps that's part of why there are so many covers, but also part of why it works to keep that tone. Um, whereas because we're pulling songs from all these different records, when other bands do it and they're keeping it to their own material, sometimes that material can feel very different next to each other. By blending these covers in, they're yeah. able to smooth that transition um, and make it work, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And Cobain really liked the Vaselines. And on, on their album, Incesticide, uh, they covered two two of the songs, Molly's Lips and uh, Molly Lips, excuse me, and uh, Son of a Gun. Um, and they took really, I mean, these indie rock songs and made them their own, which was which was really, really cool. I wouldn't have minded if one of those actually um, snuck into here, but they decided to go to this track, uh, which to me wasn't as entertaining. Now, the Vaselines rendition is a parody of the as you said, the Christian children hymn, uh, to me, I could probably like, if this was a bonus track, I'd be like, cool, cool, cool. And I'm going to say that with context because we have another cover coming after. And I think, I think that's what kind of throws me off. And, you know, I would have, again, maybe even taken another Vaseline's tune, but Hey man, it worked. Obviously it worked. So who am I to say now we go into the next song, right? The man who sold the world back to back cover songs. Uh, this time it's a David Bowie song, right? I, I wouldn't have minded this, um, again, it, you know, if we didn't get another cover song back to back, that's just my opinion. Yes, Cobain argued not to play the hits, but but they had other songs I think um, that I would have gladly heard. You know, uh, there's songs like, and now this is a, a little bit of a stretch, but a song like "School from Bleach," I would have loved to have hear that acoustically. Uh, "Drain You" or "Lounge Act" from Nevermind too, I think could have been possible ones that people may not have known or more of a deep cuts. Um, anyway, the acoustic plugged into the amp with the pedal is heard here, uh, which is questionable again from for this being an unplugged performance. Uh, there's also a little note mishap on the solo by Corbain, and we even get some feedback during one of the courses. But in the end, 
you know, it works. Take all the ranting that I did aside. Actually, I really, it, as a single entity, I don't mind this track at all. Uh, I like it better than the last cover, but I, and I do think they do the original justice. Um, and I like the banter um, at the end of the track about uh, the key that the next tone, the next tune, I'm sorry, has to be in. I like that you said Crobane. Did I really? <laughs> I, I think you were trying to say Kurt Cobain, and then you just tried to shorten it, and it came out funny. Kurt um, Cobain. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, this one I, I really enjoy um, where Jesus doesn't want me for Sunbeam feels like it's about the the aesthetic of fitting into the album and creating the sound and tone. Man Who Stole the World feels more like Kurt taking the opportunity to express himself through the words David Bowie wrote, uh, perhaps in a way that, that many uh, songwriters and poets feel that somebody has managed to capture their what they're feeling better than they can. Um, and I think that's why, and, and I'm, this is purely speculation. To me, a guy like Kurt Cobain, who's putting something like this together, who is struggling with his fame, who's struggling with um, a drug addiction to no end, um, for him to pick a song like this, for the band to pick a song like this, really speaks to their them personally. Um, who knows, that might just be me. I'm not really sure. No, it's uh, a good it, assessment, man. I, I just really dig it. I, I think it's great. I agree with you. It, it stands up perfectly on its own. It's a, right, it's a totally. wonderful performance. Part of the trick here, and, and it's really the only slight against this album I even have, but I really, at that I'm talking like, it's a nine out of 10 instead of a 10 out of 10. Um, <laughs> we're talking about six covers, right? Where there's enough material, hits or no hits, uh, there's enough material left on the plate that th they didn't need so many. Um, I don't know that this is the same record without this, though, because I believe this was a, the only single released off of it uh, under the radio, but it was huge. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was massive, man. Yeah. It was, I mean, it's, you know, so uh, track number five, uh, now that I've ranted, um, Penny Royal T. Uh, first track we get from In Utero. Not my favorite from that album, but an interesting choice, certainly. Taking it alone uh, is a great choice as the album. That is to say that he plays it uh, just himself and the guitar. Um, Taking alone is a great choice as the album version has the, the clean electric opening um, before launching into this pure fuzz uh, goodness. Uh, stripping it back to just Kurt allows him to own the subtle lyrics, um, deliver them passionately, and that makes this version so powerful forcing the listener to really listen to all of the words. It's, it's a brilliant performance. Yeah. And I wonder if these were the moments that Cobain was concerned about with the performance. Uh, you know, I was, I was never the biggest fan of the song on in utero. Um, and you could hear again, the voice really gets vulnerable here. Was it his sickness or nerves? Was that just him? Uh, but I like, um, I, I like more than like actually this intimate a uh, performance actually better than the album version. So um, it, it's it's a it's it's a good tune and the way he does it here is, is pretty cool. Uh, next is dumb. So uh, this is where I'm going to critique just the song selection slightly. Sure, Dumb wasn't a single, but musically, it's a safe choice for the performance. I think they performed it well, and the vo vocals were fitting for an unplugged. So uh, I'm sure there's some strategy here again. Um, again, I, I just would have think I, I I'm just thinking that it would have been cool to hear a rocking tune converted from in utero, right? Because that's kind of the album you're also promoting too. Um, you know, converted into an acoustic tune here. What about, what about you with Dumb? 
You know, I agree with you that I think this was kind of a safe choice. I, I do love that cello part, though. I think it really, they allowed her to, uh, and excuse me, I didn't write down in the notes the name of the woman who plays cello. Yeah, I don't um, know offhand. But they really allowed her to explore the song and um, to express herself with the instrument through it, and I thought it was really lovely. Uh, lyrically, get an example of what he was so good at, which is simple lines that have multiple meanings, uh, and, of, and of course, you just can't repeat, can't stop repeating, excuse me, uh, until the sun comes back up. It, it's just really, um, I, I, I think maybe beyond a safe choice, I think this is a really smart choice. Um, track seven is Polly. Polly. You would like a cracker. Um, <laughs> we're back to Nevermind for this yes. one. Uh, great song choice. I really love Chris Novoselic. There you uh, go. He's here. You really, you really hear him taking that thing for a walk, uh, you know, which helps to just show off the balance uh, that the band shared in regards to their ability to create really full and powerful sounds, whether they're playing uh, their acoustic guitars or screaming their hearts out. Yeah, and and I I do like this track selection as it's one of the toned down songs from Nevermind. So like logically, the, this was a song that you you knew was going to make it. Uh, it's not much different than the album version, but you know. Novoselic, like you said, uh, Grohl's backing vocals on here sound nice. You know, not much other to say. I mean, I I like the original version and I like this version. And New Wave Poly on Incesticide is pretty cool too. Next, we get On a Plane, which is one of my favorite tracks from Nevermind. So I'm glad it's made its way here. Uh, goes to show you that they could play a rock tune acoustically, which leads me to wonder why why these were considered, but then these ones they didn't want to touch. Yeah, we'll, we'll maybe get into that. Back to the song. I, I like the bass playing here as well. Nova Selleck and, of course, uh, Pat Smear on uh, the second guitar really gives uh, Cobain even more of a security blanket. Uh, I've always loved the opening to this song. I'll start, excuse me, uh, I'll start this out without any words. I got so high, I scratched till I bled. Like, I, I love the, that pair of lines. They never come back in the song, which no. was really interesting because... Uh, Kurt loved repeating himself lyrically uh, and then manipulating it. I, you know, but I, I just always loved that this started with those two lines and they never came back. I also love that, uh, you know, the title is on a plane, P-L-A-I-N. Uh, so, you know, he's not just talking about being stoned on a flight, uh, which he may have been more likely that he was just really fucking stoned. Um <laughs> more like a plane of existence, but that's spelled differently too. Right. So it's really interesting that he chose the boring version of the, that song meeting for this really great song. Um, really bold choice here. I love the way it came across. Yeah, totally. Uh, song number nine is something in the way. Uh, another nevermind track. Uh, not one of my favorite tracks uh, from it uh, or here. Um, it's a bit, too on the nose for me compared to the album version. This is, I feel like they really just kind of went like, oh, we'll just not put the distortion on. Um, kind of the nice thing about it is that the way he sings and um, that you can't tell, uh, excuse me, the, the nice thing about the way he sings is that you can't tell sometimes how dumb the lyrics are uh, until you really just kind of break them down and look at it. And this is one of those songs for me and I'm, I'm sure it's about him being homeless and living under a bridge and doing heroin but it's a stupid fucking song other than the chorus, something in the way, right? Um, it's just one of those songs that, that sounds really cool, but it doesn't do anything for me. Like I, you can put this on and I will be singing it and you'll be like, I didn't like that song. And I'll be like, I don't, but I've heard it so many times. And I, I got to acknowledge it's a good, 
it's a good chorus. It's just when you get into the verses and you look at it, this is one of those songs where I go, ah, you know, every once in a while you did just fuck up. <laughs> That's awesome. So I, I like this performance. I mean, again, it's similar to the album version, you know, kind of like what Polly, right? Uh, it, you know, it was always a song with a bleak outlook and a dark tone, and it gets captured, I think, here in the performance. Uh, for the album flow, you know, maybe this is something that could have been placed before the Lead Belly tune, but never, nevertheless, it's it's enjoyable. Uh, speaking of enjoyable, you know, we, we get into uh, a really enjoyable part of the set, and I know I bitched about the covers earlier, uh, but inserting the inserting of the Meat Puppets and these three songs from their second album was super cool and great exposure for the band. Uh, the Puppets' second album had a lot of quirky cowpunk tunes that were meant to be sung kind of off key. Uh, so for all intents and purposes, it works really well. Singer and guitarist Kurt Kirkwood of Me Puppets plays great here on the guitar and again gives Cobain the security of having these people around him, as I'm sure playing uh, these songs did as well. And that song is Plateau. I had to mention that, but yeah, I, I, fantastic. Yeah, my favorite uh, of the Me my second favorite, excuse me, of the Meat Puppet songs on this record, and probably overall, um, quirky in its own way, uh, but the way they harmonize and play off each other and really makes uh, this a highlight of the record for me. Um, yeah. it's, a nut, it, it's so nice to see a little more complexity musically uh, by mixing it up with this tune. Uh, these three song, or excuse me, this three song gap really benefits from the music coming from the Meat Puppets and Nirvana adapting it so that you're not getting three songs that sound the same after a few songs that sounded very similar. Right, right, exactly. So um, <clears throat> the next track, Oh Me. Oh Me. Bottom of the Meat Puppets barrel here for me. <laughs> uh, I really enjoy this one. Like I, all three of these Meat Puppet songs are great. This would just, if I had to rank them, it's a two, three, one for me. We'll get to it. Sure. Uh, I really enjoy this one too. I think vocally it may be one of Kurt's best efforts here. We get uh, a great little guitar solo uh, too. Uh, I think this track speaks to what inspired them as songwriters and might be why they chose uh, this little block of songs to include. Yeah, it's done in a different key here than on the, the Puppets record, but again, a nice job by the two bands coming together and, and playing this song. I like how right in the middle of these, uh, this is, right in the middle of these songs is plateau and the following song like a fire um are a little bit more chaotic and they kind of bookend this song right here so uh, i think it was smart placement and now we get to lake of fire which is a super highlight uh, for me uh, the puppets version again is loud and intentionally off key um and for a while i used to think that cobain was struggling um, but I real vocally, but I, then I realized um, he was trying to do right by the original, and I still think his voice is shaky here. But but again, that's for uh, you know other reasons, and I, you know I, I still think it comes together just so well. The guitar playing from Kirkwood is great, and it's just a great overall tune. I love both versions, and I like how it was released as a promotional single. And I used to love it when the video would come on uh, rotation on MTV when they actually played music. Uh, the song to me is super catchy as hell, and even though Cobain was a good lyricist, it's cool to hear him sing a set of lyrics like this because he didn't write in this style. Yeah, you make a, an excellent point uh, that lyrically these are so outside of what he wrote for Nirvana that it is interesting to hear him do it. Um, yes, there are six covers on this, but otherwise they don't do a ton uh, 
of covers. So it makes it kind of special. Like it, as a band, Nirvana wasn't known for their covers. So for this to have a little bit of a, a nugget gem on it of these three Meat Puppet songs, the Lead Belly tune at the end that we'll get to, David Bowie, and of course, um, Vaseline's. Thank you. Excuse me. I was trying to swallow. Um, it, it really is kind of a nice little like, oh, wait a minute. Here are these these covers they did. They just happen to all be acoustic. Um, you know, uh, what can I say? Yeah, I, I really dig this tune. It, it the, the pacing of it, the vocal delivery, uh, the closing solo, uh, it, you know, it's just it, it's a really beautiful effort. Um, and I think I think it'd be interesting to see what would have happened going forward with the band if Kurt had been open to bringing in songwriters to help, not necessarily structure songs, but lyricists to help grow that structure. It, it, you know, look, it's a conversation for another time. It's a uh, what if super series where Spider-Man bangs Thanos, so it doesn't really matter, but <laughs> uh, track 13, all yes. apologies. Um, this song is very enigmatic, enigmatic, excuse me, of in utero for me. It's It's got the soft opening into the loud middle, into the soft end. Um, it's a theme they return to often in that album where the they just sonically go up and down in terms of the volume, in terms of the intensity. Um, it works really well uh, as an, un un <laughs> excuse me, it worked very well for an unplugged album uh, because you don't have uh, to change much and the, 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 the honesty of the song still works as well uh, as it did on the album. Um, it's clean and pretty and has uh, a way of drawing the listener in, um, you know, that the lyrics here, by the time they're done, you, you feel like they're, he's talking to you, you feel like you're expressing these apologies. It's, it's a classic. Uh, it's just so wonderfully done. Rambling yeah. Around. You know, lo looking back, I always viewed the song as his eulogy. You know, it's, um, it's like, he's telling people what's to come and he's apologizing for it all here. We could get into that a little bit more in the next episode, but it's the final track as we know it on in utero. And I wasn't the biggest fan of the song, but knowing what is to come and with this performance and being the second to last track, it's fitting. Um, and, and I think I've always taken to this version more than uh, the in utero version, which leads us then to the very last track, which is where did you sleep last night? So, um, you know, it's a lead belly uh, cover. Uh, I think I think it's you know, again. Yes, it's another cover, but I am more than cool with that, especially with uh, the way he's ending the show. Uh, he does it justice here, especially at the end when he's basically he just lets the microphone have it. Right. And if you listen to the original version, obviously, it's not like that with the yelling at the end. Uh, but again, Cobain just lets it be known. It's raw and it's emotional. Um, and, you know, it's a proper send off based on what we know is about to happen. Uh, so where did you sleep last night? I mean, it's a great way to end the set, man. Yeah, interestingly, I feel like this could have fit anywhere on the record, but it does work so well as the final number, especially as you said, he, he really does let the microphone have it. Oh, totally. Uh, uh, I love that he did a blues number on here to bring those kind of rock and roll roots uh, front and center, which, you know, we still owe that generation of, of blues songwriters a great amount. Um, you know, we get another uh, amazing cello performance, yeah. uh, an amazing lyrical delivery. And in true uh, Nirvana fashion, they, they build it up till the end uh, and it breaks and leaves the audience just kind of in a pool of their own exhaustion. It's, it's really kind of awesome. Um, it half feels like a, a funeral march. I understand what you're saying with that. And half feels... Uh, 
you know, kind of a sacrifice to, to Lead Belly himself saying, thank you. It's, it's, it's really a cool number. Um, yeah, very cool. And that's, that's where the record ends folks. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when, when we compare this record to other MTV unplugged records, um, it's still on top for me. Clapton, Allison change, Allison change, <laughs> Allison chains, excuse me. Um, and STP are also very good, but honestly, I said it before, most of this series sucks. Uh, what I love about this album is that there aren't any songs that don't fit. Say what you want about the hits not being there, though I think they could have made them work. Yeah, we'll talk about it. Um, I think you know the balance of the covers and the, the kind of deeper tracks allowed the band to spread out musically. So the songs didn't all sound the same, which... I would gather is probably a big concern. Um, for me, it holds up uh, the best compared to their other albums, maybe. Um, perhaps because it's a little bit from here, a little bit from there. Um, you know, with some of the songs they love as a band, perhaps they're a better acoustic act. Um, who knows? Who knows what, what, what could have happened? Um, it really could have gone either way, Frank. Yeah, so what can be said about this record? I mean, it's a legendary performance by a significant band that really captures a moment for not only them, but us as, as listeners, uh, you know, growing up. It's like, well, you know, we remember the performance, you know, and we all could kind of point back to that. Uh, the unorthodox manner in which they approached the show was cool in that they wanted a non-traditional set list. I do like that. However... It was called Nirvana Unplugged. So if you didn't want to play the hits, cool. And I'm totally cool with that. But I, me as a fan and knowing that we really don't have much after this from Nirvana, I would have liked to have seen some deeper cuts. There's commentary on where a fan requests in Bloom and Cobain says, well, how would we play that acoustically? It, it could have been done. It could have been done. Uh, Stur Sturgill Simpson did a, a cover on his album, so it could have been done. Um, I could have easily done without the Bowie or the Vaseline tune, or at least they could have fine, keep those on there, but maybe recorded some additional tracks that would eventually make their way to an anniversary edition. I would have totally take that. Being that Cobain died five months later, uh, the fans, I'm sure, would have wanted just more music, and that's really what it's all about, right? Uh, that specific lure of this record, I think, causes people to romanticize about it. I'm not taking anything away from this record at all, but if you were to compare it from the Stunt Temple Pilot and the Alice in Chains performances, um, those singers had their own demons. Vocally, Wyland and Stanley's though performance was was a little bit better. They didn't have all the creaks and the flaws. Nevertheless, though, again, it worked for Nirvana. You can't deny the impact and the greatness of this album. Uh, I certainly do not. It, it's one of the best and quite possibly Nirvana's best. So. Let me, uh, let me play a little devil's advocate here with you and talk about the songs people really wanted but didn't get. Um, could they have worked as songs? I'll read you uh, off a little list. You tell me, would they would they or wouldn't they have worked? And, and maybe why? Sound good? Sure. Sure. Let's, let's start with uh, what I think is like maybe the most obvious, like, hey, why didn't they play Smells Like Teen Spirit? I, I think they could have found a way with, with musically to, to figure it out. Um, but I think it's proper that it's not on there because I, I, I've seen interviews where they used to tell people, listen, there's more on the album than Smells Like Teen Spirit. When they played it on top of the pops, they even played it jokingly. I'm sure it got tiring for the band. Uh, so could it have worked musically? Yes, but I don't think it should have been placed on here. 
All right. What about lithium? You know, that's another one of, of the big four that could have been it could have been done acoustically. Uh, I, I I think it's just as rocking um, sonically as "Come As You Are." Um, so I think they could have found a way to do it. Um, again, I didn't. I don't think you want to front load it with with the four big singles from Nevermind, but um, it could have been done. But I'm actually okay with that song not being on here. Now, what we talked about this one earlier. What about In Bloom? I really feel like In Bloom really had the opportunity yes. to lend itself well to this. Yeah, absolutely. I think in Bloom, uh, just because stripped down and hearing that stripped down version from, say, Sturgill Simpson, for example, you're like, wow, you're like, this song could work in a variety of different ways. And obviously, we're playing a little bit of revisionist history here, but I think that's one they could have inserted into the set or at least doing the practice of it. Um, when he says how we could perform it acoustically again, I think they could have. They could have figured out. They could have done it in the same tempo. They could have done it a little bit more intimate and still stressed the important parts while having an edge in bloom i think should have made its way on there what about heart shape box see i this is the one where i go i think leaving heart shape box off was the right choice because to me wasn't as strong as some of the other tracks yeah i'm with you on that one um you know, again, could they have found a way? Maybe, um, you know, on a, from a business perspective, since it was the lead off single from in utero, you know, you, again, that's the kind of album you're also promoting, right? So you, that would make sense. Um, but I, I always felt that it was a weak single. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm okay with this one not being on there. So the next one was half of a single. Right. Rate me. Yeah. Actually, I think this song musically is simple enough where, where they could have done it. They could have they could have found some creative way to do it. Maybe, you know, you know, they take like uh you know how Johnny Cash even took um Rusty Cage from from Soundgarden and, and they kind of gave it a little bit a little bit of a oomph, maybe. Um I don't know. I, I think that song they, they could have got creative with that song again. I wouldn't have minded seeing that song acoustically. It, it's one of those ones that I go back and forth with because I, I think I understand being in an intimate setting and yelling the words rape me um and it perhaps not going over as well as you think it should um that's that's actually time, a fair fair point too <laughs> but but at the same time you know what you released it as a single anyways people you know played it you on saturday it. live you know you you yeah no so, i hear you was there any tracks now I, I i obviously just limited it to the the big hits that weren't covered was there anything that you went, man, they really missed the ball by not including this off of Bleach, this off of Nevermind. Well, you know, for me personally, as, as a fan and some of my favorite songs, I think off of Bleach, I would have loved to have heard a song like School. Uh, I think that would have been really, really uh, cool to have done uh, acoustically. From uh, Incesticide, even though it's not a proper album, but like Silver, I think could have been uh, really cool on there. Um, from Nevermind, you know, I'm going to go again, Drain You, Lounge Act, which which is one of my top actually uh, favorite Nirvana songs. Breed, even though that's a big rocker. I, I feel something could have been done with that. Uh, Drain You actually was, there. there is now coming to mind uh, um, an acoustic folky version by a band that's slipping my mind right now, but but they did a cover of uh, Drain You. Um, as far as in utero, maybe, you know, Serve the Serpents, um, maybe that could have, maybe that could have worked. So there's some tunes there. Most excellent. Yeah, most excellent. So, Here's the buildup, Mark, the, the next episode. So the buildup to the 50th episode. Can you believe it? We're 50. Me and you are 50. Yeah. Yeah. 
Crazy. Uh, yeah, we did a trial run, uh, so to speak, with the Jeff Buckley episode, and now we will cover the life, the times, the final days of Kurt Cobain. So much mystery and conspiracy revolving around the man. I mean, it's really remarkable how after all this time, it's such a subject of debate. Why is that? Is it because even though he had all these demons that the stars just lined up all too perfectly uh, you know, in his final moments? It's going to be fascinating to talk about, Mark, don't you think? Absolutely. I, I think for much of our generation, this is the first true crime mystery we were all uh, exposed to that we all got sucked into. Uh, the characters are enthralling. The drugs, my God, the drugs. Oh my God. Uh, as wild as it gets. The most uh, fun drugs you've ever done. The music didn't totally suck. Um, right. There are so many possibilities to what happened that night that to say you know for sure what happened is an omission of guilt, Frank. There you go. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Um, this is know, not Sid and Nancy, folks. <laughs> no, this is not Sid and Nancy, folks. Um, you know, let's... Oh, boy. I'm, I'm excited for next week. Listen, um, that, that wraps up Nirvana Unplugged in New York. Um, don't forget to, to like us personally and on the internet. Uh, comment wherever you find us, like if you see me in the mall. Um, leave us some stars and some hearts and some gold bars. Um, I accept coins on Candy Crush. Um, and tell us what you want to hear. And thanks as always for listening. What do you say to the nice folks at home now, Frank? Thank you, everyone. And ciao. <laughs> ciao. Bye-bye. <laughs>